You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Uh, I am here today with Greg. Hello. Good to be back. It's glad. To, it's good to have you back. It's great to have you back. Uh, and Jimmy. Hi. Yeah. Good to be back. <laughs> um, and it's it's you guys, which can only mean we're doing season three. We're carrying on with season by season, uh, which is excellent. So uh, the response we've had to. Uh, our episodes about season one and season two has been absolutely phenomenal. We really do appreciate it and we are going to keep making them. Um, so season three of Doctor Who, perhaps Doctor Who's first ever turbulent season. There was production stuff going on that were, as there is a revolving door of companions. Um, it's going to be an interesting one to delve into, I think. Um, I'm going to start off by asking you guys what your favourite serial from this season is. So, Greg, you go first. Well, I won't dwell on it because I suspect we're going to be talking about it quite a bit. But honestly, my favourite serial from this season is Dalek's Master Plan. I love the epic tone of it. I love the, the grim tone of it, uh, the humour that runs through the middle of it. It's 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 basically everything you want in an entire season of Doctor Who, and it's in one gigantic story it i mean it, it's a great story it's it's legendary which you know we will talk about in a little bit but i think uh it, it's very high on a lot of people's missing episodes please turn up lists and understandably so uh jimmy what about you for me as much as i love the daleks master plan it's got to be the massacre the massacre is just such a dark and strong story and Stephen gets you know the limelight and yeah I absolutely love it it's very dark but very good another absolutely fantastic choice uh I'm going to go with something different as well I'm going to go with the war machines which I did actually say in the last one of these we did um it's up there with the time meddler it's between the two as to what my favorite Hartnell story is um, I've I've got an awful lot of time for the War Machines. It was the first Hartnell I saw, and uh, it's it's not your normal Hartnell story. It's set in sixties London, but uh, it, it's it does something nicely different. I like that, but we'll uh, return to that later. So, the first serial uh, is another. Shall we say, I don't think it's the best ever. I, I don't think it's the strongest season opener ever, but I also think that season two didn't have the strongest opener ever. Uh, but the first story to discuss is Galaxy 4. 
it's it's an interesting beast, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you two have to say about it. So, Greg, you go first. Yeah, this is not a good uh, era of Doctor Who for season premieres. Um, like you said, Planet of Giants, as we discussed last time, was not the best, and Galaxy 4, also not the best. Um, thankfully, it's only four parts because it's really just one extended, drawn-out, mediocre Star Trek sort of plot where we have a spaceship full of beautiful women and a spaceship full of horrible alien monsters, and the horrible alien monsters are menacing the beautiful alien women. But then we discover that actually the beautiful women are the bad guys, and the horrible monsters are actually good. And you can see it coming from about 10 minutes into the episode. It's There's just... There's just not a lot there. The characters mostly just get shuttled back and forth between the two ships. One thing I did like in the, I think it's the end of the first episode, the Doctor and Stephen actually, or the Doctor and Vicky rather, actually briefly go back to the TARDIS uh, to do some research, which is kind of an unusual thing to see at any point in the show. Um, This is also a story where up until... 11 years ago, we really didn't know much of anything about it. We had the clip from episode one, and that was it. I just remember back in 2011, um, you know, the news coming across, oh, two missing episodes of Doctor Who have been found. And you're thinking, like, oh, my God, like, what what serials could this be from? Could it be the power of the Daleks? Could it be the, the missing episode four of the 10th planet? Could it be something from Marco Polo? And then they're like... It's Galaxy Four and the underwater menace. And, <laughs> you know, you, you're not. I'm not ungrateful because I I would love to have every single episode of Doctor Who back. But man, like some of these, you know, you, we get these missing episodes back, and you realize, like, wow, this was actually like pretty interesting. But like watching Airlock was just twenty five dreary minutes. I, I I really hate to get this this episode off on a down note, but I. I didn't really care for Galaxy 4. And I'm, I'm also, I'm not sure why they animated this one, but at least we have that. So we get to see the whole thing in motion pictures. So so that's something. I, I have to admit, I did think it was an interest, interesting choice for animation. Um, I guess it's sort of the earliest non-historical uh, that they can go for, I suppose. But, I think uh, I remember reading that um, some some people were speculating the reason was because of the Dravens all being a clone race, they could cheap out by basically animating Marga and then copy-paste do all the rest of them, and so that made it a lot more affordable, apparently, is what I heard. Um, and it's, I mean, it, it, it's never been known as, even though it's missing, it's never been known as a sort of very visual story. Um, it's it's fairly generic spaceship sets. It's there's you know a bit of a a deserty, quarry-y alien world. Although I'm, I believe it was shot in studio, they didn't actually go to a quarry for it. But nevertheless, it's there's nothing sort of extra special about the visuals. And I think the animation did do quite a good job of sort of making bits of it look interesting. But I just don't think there's too much there to draw on or to 
uh, I suppose, from an animation point of view, cost a lot of money. Uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on this story? For me, when I was re-watching all of Hartnell's era in preparation for these podcasts, um, I hadn't got around to watching Galaxy 4's new animation before then, and so it was my first viewing with the animation, and I think that definitely helped the story a lot. It's, as you say, it's not a great one. It's not overly brilliant in any way, but um, in previous listens where I only had the... um, the audio and the one surviving episode and the one long clip to go on, I definitely didn't enjoy it as much. But the animation helped it considerably for me, I think. It's still, you know, a lower tier story, but I enjoyed it more than previous viewings and it'll be interesting to see on future viewings whether it was just the animation helped and made it better that time or whether I still like it more. But I think it's underrated. It's... um. Not great in any way, but I think it's less a little bit less derivative than you might have sort of put across because you drew the comparison earlier to Star Trek. But, of course, this was 1965, I believe. I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. I haven't seen much of it, but it only started 1966. So this predates it being quite as dated. I mean, it is a bit of a cliche, the whole, you know, one good at alien race, one evil, the evil one looks good, the good one looks evil and so on. But, um, yeah, it was pretty new at the time and so that gives it a bit of a excuse for me it makes it seem a bit less derivative even if it probably was a bit yeah i I know what you mean and i do agree that the animation has helped it a great deal um i'm glad it exists i'm never going to complain about an animation at all I, i think absolutely any episode animated it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing, and it does give us a chance to enjoy these stories with the best visuals that we're going to get short of the episode being found, I guess. Um, you know, there are a lot of excellent reconstructions, and I do enjoy listening to the soundtracks, but uh, for me, the animations have become the the definitive version, as it were. Um, yeah, it's it's probably a story that, gets lost in all of the other brilliant stuff that sort of surrounds it you know season two ended on a very high note and season three goes into quite big and epic from this point onwards really um it's it's an odd little low budget fairly simple sci-fi story just to kickstart the new season i suppose and again it was carried over from the previous recording block so really it's a it was made as a season two story um, and the sort of turbulent production stuff that went on during season three certainly hadn't kicked in yet. Um, I'm trying to think of something more to say about it. I feel as though there should be more said about Galaxy 4, but it, it it's there. It does what it's meant to do. It's just unfortunately it's not the most engaging story there is, but um, it's it's a curiosity to say the least. Uh, Let's move on, though, to um, our next sort of point of discussion. Uh, Another very interesting... um, It's not really a story, it's an episode. Uh, Mission to the Unknown. All of a sudden, um, the Doctor and the Companions aren't there for a week, uh, but the Daleks are. Um, the temptation was to sort of discuss this just as part of Dalek's master plan, but it's not. It's its own thing. 
um, and I think it should be treated as such. So, Greg, what are your thoughts on Mission to the Unknown? Well, as you say, it's a very unusual episode. It's the only one ever in which we see neither the Doctor nor the Companions. Hartnell's credited in it, but of course he's not actually in it. It's really just this tight little short prequel film, basically, about the upcoming Dalek epic. And I think Terry Nation actually does a fantastic job with it. It's 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 really well paced. It's it's exciting. It's scary. Uh, the characters are are painted in broad strokes, but you understand them pretty quickly. Um, it's and how odd to to watch this story, and then a week later you're in ancient Greece, and what what happened? Like what what's going on with the Daleks? Where are they? Um, it's very dark. Um, it's certainly showing the tone that the season is going to take for the next few stories. Uh, the only goal that uh, Mark Corey has is to get the message off of the planet, and he fails in doing that, and he's killed by the Daleks before he can do so. And so it, it, it's got this very hopeless feel to it. This is certainly a story that, again, we, we, we didn't know a lot about, once they found uh, episode two of Dalek's Master Plan, at least there we could see, you know, now we knew what Kemble actually looked like and so forth. So we have some idea. But to watch this episode, I actually looked at the official remake of it by the university drama department. I can't remember what university off the top of my head. I apologize for that. But It was UCLan, I think, which is University of Central Lancashire. There we go. But I thought they did a fantastic job. Like they really tried to film it in the same way as a 1960s TV production. The performances are very well judged and attempting to be in that style as well. Um, you could definitely feel like, oh, this is actually the episode of Doctor Who, because again, all we have of it is the audio, and there aren't any recognizable actors from other Doctor Who stories that we really know. So it's, um, yeah, they, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed watching it. And I don't know if it's reproducible for anything else because then you have to put the Doctor and companions in it. But for this uh, one standalone, thumbs up. Yeah, they, they did an absolutely fantastic job. And it had the, uh, there was a lot of goodwill from people that were originally involved with it and all that kind of thing. And I think Peter Purvis was even there on the day of recording. Not that he was there for the original day of recording, a mission to the unknown, of course. But um, yeah, he, he went to see uh, that being recreated. I think they did a very good job. And yeah, I, I think it's fair to call it our definitive version now. Um, and it's it's so unique in terms of what it is and its place in Who history, that, yeah, you can out and out recreate it. Uh, Jimmy, what are your thoughts? For me, I think I I enjoyed it, but I don't think I enjoy it as mo- much as uh, many people in fandom, and yourselves included. I, I think it was good. I think it did a great job of setting up for the Daleks' master plan, and I understand why they needed an episode without the Doctor and the Companions because of the whole issue with cutting planet of giants in the previous season but i think it was a bit of a mistake to make the prequel something for the daleks master plan because it's already a very long story and it used its 12 episodes well i'll get to that when we get to that story but um 
I think it didn't need to be that essentially have an extra episode zero. I think it could have been interesting to do a different setting or a different story tied into something else in the season. I'm not sure where, but um, but for what it was, I did enjoy it. And I did love the uh, remake of it by the university team, but um, I wouldn't say I'd call it definitive because we still do have the original audio and I'm a bit of a sort of... Um, I guess perfectionist, traditionalist, whatever, in that I think that the original, if it were animated, I'd give it the go. But I definitely think it makes a wonderful extra and I'd love to see it when they do eventually release this story if they animate it. But, yeah, I think that um, it's, a, it's a good story but it's, it's not the sort of definitive high of the season that it is for a lot of people for me. I think it's a little bit overrated but, yeah, definitely good for what it was. Yeah, it's. I mean, they made it out of necessity, really, didn't they? They made it because they lost that episode from uh, Planet of Giants and needed to sort of fill a fill a quota in a way. Um, I think you know, considering what it is and considering what it does, I think it's it's a valiant effort to be different, and it's good to see that Doctor Who is still experimenting with its own format in into its third season which i mean it continues doing so for quite a while yet really but um yeah it's it's really good to have that and um it means that we've also had a nice little prequel to talking about the daleks master plan as well uh but before we get there we have the myth makers um and I enjoy The Myth Makers. I think it's a good story. I think the comedy historical is a nice little subgenre in Who that will be revisited again. Uh, the one thing that lets it down for me is, firstly, how criminally underused Vicky is for the first half of the story, and then secondly, how sort of sudden and poorer exit companion exit she gets i think that really um a character that we'd and we've now spent the equivalent of a whole season with near enough just kind of uh goes doctor i need a chat and then that's it. it's the last we see of her um so the myth makers greg you go first so this is one of the two classic serials that we know the least about, along with The Massacre, which we'll get to in a bit. We don't have any telesnaps of it. We have very little record from the set. All we have of it is a few random eight millimeter clips. And the person who filmed those clips was mostly prioritizing close-up dialogue scenes between the regular characters. So we have a lot of close-up shots of Peter Purvis and Maureen O'Brien talking, but we still don't really see any of the Mythmakers. So for this, I watched the old uh, Loose Cannon recon, which is composited from other films and TV shows about ancient Greece and photoshopping heads of actors onto other bodies and so on. It's it's an interesting uh, way to recreate it because, of course, we, we, don't, we don't know how accurate it is. Um, what I like about the story is what you said is the, the tone of it. It's a comedy historical, but whereas the Romans, which was a comedy historical, was a very carry-on-ish, body sort of sex comedy, This the comedy in Mythmakers is a lot more broad. It's a lot more slapstick. 
It's hard to tell because, again, we have so little visual record, but certainly the audio seems to imply that there is a lot of visual humor, a lot of physical comedy in the performances, which would be fantastic to see if any of this is ever recovered. Um, the, most of the performances are quite deliberately over the top, but this goes on for three episodes. Oh, even the even the episode titles are, are ridiculous. <laughs> Horse of Destruction, uh, possibly the greatest Doctor Who title of all time, although I really wish they'd used Is There a Doctor in the Horse? But the end of the story, though, episode four, that humor goes away. When the actual invasion of Troy happens, all of a sudden it gets dark, it gets violent, people are running and screaming and dying, and you're wondering what happened to the slapstick comedy. And you mentioned Vicky's departure, and it is it is too rushed. You know, I, I wish we would have spent more time. It makes sense in context because the city's burning around them, and there are Greek soldiers rampaging through the city, murdering everyone they see. So, yeah, I mean, she's got to get out of there. But it's it's odd that they, with both this and Ian and Barbara's departure, we don't actually see the goodbye with the doctor. We see them like go to tell the doctor they're leaving and then we see the aftermath of it. And again, you know, Hartnell gets a great little speech here lamenting Vicky's departure, but you're watching it like, well, where'd Vicky go? Like, I want to see her actually say goodbye and, and we don't get to see that. And it's, it's, it's disappointing. And then you get the almost perfunctory edition of, of Katarina, who just appears out of nowhere in episode four. And we'll talk about this more in Dalek's master plan, but that they realized they made a mistake with her character. So we really don't get a lot out of her. And yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just an odd, odd ending all around to the story. But in general, I really enjoy it. I think there's a lot to appreciate about it. And I really wish we had some kind of, existing episode or visual record or something. I'd agree that this is one of sort of the, the hardest hit by being missing. Um, Cause like you say, it's probably a very, very visual story and we have an idea of what the horse would have looked like, but in all honesty, I just want to see how they pulled it off. Um, you know, we discussed uh, the possibility last season of uh, the web planet being missing can we sort of imagine, you know, we'd, we'd be sat here going, oh my God, I bet it's visually amazing. I bet it, it's it's absolutely bonkers. Um, and obviously we know with the web planet, it's not. It, it probably sounds like a visual treat, but it, it's not. Um, I, I'm not convinced that it, this, the case would be the same here. I do think it would be a fantastic story visually i know a lot of people that were involved have said that it did look good but it's unfortunately probably something we'll never get to see uh jimmy what are your thoughts on the myth makers for me it's a pity but i know a lot of people really enjoy this story but um for me it's one of the poorer hartnells i would say and this is going to be controversial given what comes later in this season, but I would say it's the worst of the historical Hartnells. Um, but it's, it has some good points, but I think it was a bit of a misjudgment to try to make it so comic. It, um, 
the comedy didn't really land for me and it just, it, this, especially with the dark ending and the whole invasion happening, it just, it didn't really connect for me. It, um, it's a shame because I, I love historicals generally more than the sci-fi stories and Hartnell is my favourite Doctor, but for some reason this story just didn't work for me and I think a large part of that is, I would agree, down to the um, bad handling of Vicky's exit. I think it's probably for the best that it happened the way it did because if she'd stayed on and we didn't get Katarina, then they presumably would have had Vicky get killed in the Daleks' master plan. That would just be too way too dark and way too heartbreaking an end for such a popular companion. So it's probably good that she left when she did. But, yeah, the exit doesn't really make much sense. It's a bit odd to... I mean, even if a modern companion went back to the ancient times, you'd think, how are they going to cope? But Vicky's from, you know, about 500 years into the future and here she is landing in, well, basically almost prehistoric times. It's like classical mythology period. So it it just, oh, it didn't really land for me, but I think I've sort of grown to accept the exit since because they handled Vicky so well in her companion chronicle, Frostfire, showing how she's adapted to the period and more recently the trailer for the collection season two showing her sort of settled down and happy there. So if we didn't have them, I'd think, God, she must have had an awful life. But now that we know that she didn't, it sort of softens the blow a bit. But, um, yeah, for me the story just didn't really work that well, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I'm glad so many people do like it, but for me it's definitely one of the poorer Hartnell stories, unfortunately. I, I can understand it not being a lot of people's favourites. And it, it's, uh, again, I think we're missing so much of it. I think we know so little about it, even though we have the complete soundtrack, that actually just passing any kind of judgment on it at this point it's it's virtually impossible there is just so little there to work with i really do think this is one that would have been saved by the visuals and uh if the animations ever do reach uh something like the myth makers it'd be really interesting to see how they handled it because it really really can't be an easy one to do um well let's move on to the big epic one uh, 12 episodes uh, with a Christmas special slap bang in the middle the Daleks master plan is it's something else it, it is a it, it's a Doctor Who Leviathan and uh, it, it's it's. I mean it's mad it, it, it's 12 mad episodes that I can't quite believe at any point somebody went yes let's do this however it works and it, it, it's a thoroughly good story. You've got uh, some excellent world building, which did start in Mission to the Unknown. But the time in which it's set, it feels very real. It feels fleshed out. It's something that Terry Nation was very, very good at. Um, and it's, I mean, how do you even start to pick it apart? It, it's, there, are, there are two, uh, even arguably three, very significant character deaths, characters that, you could argue were companions or would have been companions had they survived or should have been companions. Um, there's, yeah, there's so much going on with this story. It's almost impossible to start. Uh, but Greg, I'm going to ask you to. Oh, why not? Let's jump in. I love the epic scope of it. I mean, that's, that's the, the, the feature of it. I mean, we, 
if we start on one planet, the story rapidly grows to be about an entire galactic level threat. We go on a spaceship to try to go to another planet. We end up back in the TARDIS, fleeing the Daleks through time. We basically get a rerun of the chase for a few episodes where once again, the Daleks say we have to get in our time machine and find him and kill him and take the Terranium core back. And then it has one of the bleakest and most downbeat endings Doctor Who ever did. Um, what I love about it is the pace. Granted, you, you, you can't sit down and watch all 12 episodes in one go. That's just silly. I mean, that's five hours of, of, of one thing. But I watched it on consecutive days, six episodes a day, and I never once got bored with it. Like, it is constantly moving from place to place, from event to event, from conflict to conflict. The characters are just constantly sparking off of one another. The whole plot with Mavic Chen and the Daleks and the double crossing that goes on. I don't know if it makes a ton of sense necessarily, but it, but it really, it really pulls you along with it. Um, another thing that, that jumped out at me is, uh, well, Feast of Stephen, of course, the, the episode that is least likely to ever be recovered Depending on, you know, what time of, or what era, rather, the landing on the Empire State Building happened in the chase, Feast of Stephen is really the first time we've had, like, an extended landing of the TARDIS on present-day Earth. And, you know, we get to see, you know, a little bit of a silent comedy sort of thing, which, of course, becomes more so once they land on the old silent movie set. But, you know, just the idea of Hartnell walking around and going into police stations and things just feels very unusual. And that's something that we'll see a lot more of in the war machines. Um, but it, it, it's, it's nice, really, to have that Christmas episode in the middle of all of this. It's really an, an opportunity for the audience to take a, a breath. And it, it really divides the two parts of the story, which is, you know, we start with really the plot like surrounding Kemble. And then after... Feast of Stephen, now we're off venturing through time. Uh, the Monk comes back for a couple of episodes, which is completely unexpected, but very welcome. Um, and then the companions in this, you know, you mentioned, you know, who, who, who is a companion, who isn't. Um, Katarina, to start with, they really wanted to try to do a realistic historical companion, because this is the first companion we've had from the past. But she's from ancient Greece, and so she has no frame of reference for anything even remotely modern. And so the idea they come up with is that she thinks she's died, and that the doctor is shepherding her through all these wonders on her way to the afterlife. It's pretty obvious why that can't work long-term, and... The decision to kill her off just, I mean, it, 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 it comes out of nowhere practically because you, you just don't anticipate that sort of thing happening. But all of a sudden, you know, she's, she's out in space and you get this wonderful little monologue from Hartnell saying, truly, she was a daughter of the gods. But it, it just really feels like, was that it? Like, what, a, what an odd creative decision. And Thankfully, we have big finish. You know, we can listen to Daughter of the Gods if we want to explore that a bit more. 
and that's a very good story. Um, but then there's Sarah Kingdom, and I always wonder about Sarah. Like, why is she considered a companion? Like, if she doesn't really do anything that you know H.G. Wells doesn't do in Time Lash, and we don't consider him a companion. And I think it's honestly just because Peter Haining said so in the reference guides that came out back in the 80s. But I'm happy she is considered one because then we get those wonderful Big Finish companion chronicles uh, about Sarah post-death. But yeah, any any category that includes her should also include Brett Vian, I would think. And especially he's played by Nicholas Courtney. Um, but again, like such a such a grim ending for her. I mean the very end of episode 12, she's, she's aged to death by the time destructor. And Steven watches this happen on the TARDIS scanner and has to go outside and drag the doctor to safety. And in the, the end of the episode, like what's, what's amazing too, is, is you get a little bit of the alienness of the doctor at the end there too, because after they pick themselves up and recover a bit, the doctor starts to like, chuckle again and say, oh, we won. And, you know, let's, let's go on to our next adventure. And Steven's just looking at him like, everyone's dead. What's wrong with you? And, and, and it, and it really creates the tension that will exist between their characters for the, the subsequent story. Um, it wasn't, it hasn't been since the first few episodes of the show, since Unearthly Child, the Daleks, that we've really grappled with how, dangerous and how deadly traveling in the TARDIS can be. And, and, and this story brings that home to a great extent. Um, I know this is kind of rambling, but there's just so much of Dalek's master plan to talk about, but it is my favorite story of the season because of that. And even though we'll almost certainly never get the entire thing back, I, I think it's fantastic that we have, episodes from three completely different elements of the story so we can really get a sense of 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 the different chapters in this epic it's uh it's it's something that everyone should experience at least once even if just via reconstruction yeah it's i mean it's it it is one of the greats and i'm sure we could very easily do a a dalek's master plan episode all to itself uh, there is so much to cover um, you know, it's worth noting, as you say, the monk returns in it. It's worth noting that actually the monk is the first non-Dalek returning villain in Doctor Who, um, which sort of never really gets considered, but the the concept of a, a recurring Time Lord villain was there at this early stage. Obviously doesn't uh, quite manifest itself until sort of season eight time when the master becomes full-time baddie. But um, yeah, it, it's so interesting that as a serial, it you know it does look back, it does echo the chase. There are a few episodes that are almost just a direct remake of the chase, um, but or certainly in concept anyway. But um, it, it does look forward as well, and it does sort of think about where things are going to go next. Um, in some ways, I wish Sarah Kingdom had survived the adventure. I think she'd have made a great companion. I think, you know, beyond the, is it six, seven episodes the character's in? I think beyond that, there's there's so much potential. Um, and I'm glad Big Finish managed to uh, sort of tap into that. But yeah, it, it's an honestly great story. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Daleks' master plan, Jimmy? 
for me, I definitely think it's a great story. I really enjoy it and especially this latest rewatch of it, I sort of grew to like it a lot more because the first time I ever did watch it, I um, you, you both said earlier about no one would try to watch it all at once. I was stupid and I did try to watch it all at once and this was even before episode two had been recovered, so it was a recon. And, yeah, I kept falling asleep. I couldn't keep concentration. I liked what I saw, but I didn't really get it. And so when I've rewatched it this time, it's not the first time since, but it's the, one of the first times that I've really properly got into it and it's, it definitely went up in my estimation. I still don't think it's the ultimate classic best story ever that some people seem to think it is of this era, but there's definitely a lot to enjoy. And, I mean, first of all, Katarina's exit is you know, it's really shocking. It's the first time we've had a companion die and in such a horrible way too. And then you've got the question of, did she know what she was doing? Was she actually trying to sacrifice herself to save the universe? Or was she just, you know, flailing away, trying to escape the um, prisoner who had her? And that makes it, yeah, it raises questions and makes it interesting to see and think what could have been. And it's a shame she didn't stay around longer. I, I would have loved to have seen them try to do a historical companion properly. And same thing with later this season with Anne in the massacre. I wish they'd kept her on instead of Dodo. And not nothing against Dodo. I like Dodo, but it, I would have loved to have seen a historical companion sooner than Jamie. But, um, yeah, she goes and it's a shame. And the story really, I mean, with what you were saying about companions in it, I think for Brett, he's an interesting character and really likeable, but he didn't even get into the TARDIS and so there's no real gap for more stories like there is with Sarah. Um, and, yeah, for Sarah, she's an amazing character but a little bit unbelievable in some ways, the way she sort of underreacts a bit when she sort of says Brett was her brother and they deal with it a bit in the audios and she sort of gets to properly mourn him. But on on TV, just in on the TV stories alone, she seemed sort of a bit, I mean, she's broke up about it, but she's not that upset and it seemed a bit weird. But I like the character and Jean Marsh is a brilliant actress. I loved her back in The Crusade and Forward on in Battlefield. But I don't think Sarah worked that well in the story for me. I do like her, but I think... Yeah, she could have been better. And so it's a good thing she got the audios. When they first came out, I thought, oh, why are they wasting time on her instead of a proper, for lack of a better word, companion? But they made me reevaluate her and like her more. But there's not really that much of a glimpse of what she became in the audios on TV for me. But yeah, it's still an amazing story. And that ending is really powerful. And I think getting back to what you were saying earlier about, um, about the doctor sort of trying to move on and be happy. I think that sort of goes back a bit to it's similar how in the Romans at the end, he's like, what? You can't be blaming me for the fire. And he just sort of laughs it off. But I, I don't think it's more that he is callous and that he's, oh yeah, he's still excited. I think it's more that he's sort of in denial and trying not to, trying not to focus on the fact that, oh shit, this is partially my fault. So yeah, that, that ending works for me, but it's, definitely very dark but yeah it's it's such a good story I yeah there's not much more I can say about it than just how good it is I think the one real 
fault is the Christmas episode was, you know, it's silly, it's nonsensical, and the really badly aged line about it's a madhouse, it's all full of Arabs is oh, very cringe. But um, I think what would have been better for the Daleks' master plan is to cut it into sort of free stories and have, you know, the first six episodes get all the Kemble and the stuff before they go back in time into all that, do the Dalek story. Then for episode seven, the Christmas thing, instead of cramming this holiday special into one episode, the next episode was New Year's. So, you know, do a two-parter and Dalek's master plan's finished so it's not hanging over it and it can be its own thing without you being like, well, where's the action? When are we getting back to the real story? And then give the monk a four-part a sequel of his own rather than shoving him in with the Daleks. His return was brilliant, but, I mean, it was a shame that he had to sort of share the limelight and it didn't really work that well personally for me to have him and the Daleks together. And they have their sort of back and forth of him trying to pretend he's just an innocent traveller with nothing to do with this. But, it, yeah, it's... I. I think the the return of the monk should have been a better thing and should have been its own thing. But yeah, despite all these faults, I do love the story. I I just wish it could have been better, but it is very good. Yes. Um. It, yeah. Feast of Stephen is a really interesting one. It, it's. I understand why they did it. There was, you know, there was no way everyone was going to be watching Doctor Who and paying full attention to the big, dark, miserable Dalek serial on Christmas Day. Um, and I guess, you know, what do you fill that time with? And obviously, Feast of Stevens, what we've got, it's it's over the top, it's cringy, but it's, I think in the context of, you know, Christmas 1965, I think it uh, it serves its purpose. It does what it needs to do, which is basically absolutely nothing for a week. Um, but surrounding it is some of the most harrowing and entertaining Doctor Who there's ever been and um, you know we do lose all of these characters that become friends arguably companions to the Doctor and Stephen and it, it harks back to something that we've said repeatedly while looking at these early seasons before and it's that the universe and travelling with the Doctor it's not a safe place it's not we get a whole lot now about, oh, it's addictive and it's the adventure of a lifetime. Back then, that's not what it was. It was hazardous, it was dangerous, and people died. Um, and I, I quite like that. It's near enough exclusive to the heart and the era, that sort of sense of there being a dangerous universe out there. Gets touched upon in the Trouton era, I suppose. Uh, Victoria leaves in Fury from the Deep because she's had enough of being attacked all the time. But really, that sense of danger, it's its here. It's in these first few seasons. Um, let's move on then to uh, what I would perhaps call the greatest 60s historical Doctor Who story of them all. It's, it, it, it's, it's a dark one again. We're, we're in very, very dark territory at the moment. It's sort of our third... Fourth, if you include Missions to the Unknown, Dark Serial uh, on the Bounce. Um, and you can actually tell that it's having an effect on the character of Stephen. And this is very much Stephen's story. And it leads into, well, it leads to, in the fourth episode, him actually leaving the Doctor for a while. And it's sort of circumstance that 
uh, brings him back to the TARDIS more than anything else. He certainly doesn't really forgive the Doctor. Um, but yeah, thoroughly interesting story, thoroughly grim story, uh, as you'd expect something called The Massacre, or even The Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. Hopefully we won't argue over what the title is. Um, so yeah, Greg, you go first. What do you think of The Massacre? Dalek's Master Plan is my favorite story of this season. The Massacre, I think, is the best story of the season. You mentioned how the Hartnell era is a lot about how dark and dangerous time travel can be. And this episode, this story is really the final expression of that. After the Massacre, we really shift significantly into a more quote-unquote, traditional Doctor Who feel. But this story is absolutely not that. Um, Unfortunately, and I mentioned with the Mythmakers, this is the other story about which we know the least. It is, in fact, the one about which we know the least. We have the audio and nothing else. We have no photographs. We have no telesnaps. We don't have a single second of moving picture. We have absolutely nothing other than the audio and because of that even though again watching a recon that's just the people making the reconstruction just making up what's going on and so you really just have to depend on the audio and what jumps out at me is how not only dangerous paris is at this time but how unstoppable the flow of history is They leave the TARDIS, the doctor wanders around Paris for a bit and then abruptly disappears from the story until the end. And the rest of the story is just about Stephen trying to survive as as events in Paris build towards this eventual massacre. And sure, he gets involved. He meets significant historical figures of the time, but he has basically no impact on the course of history. He's just being swept along in this tide. And he can, I don't think he knows much about the era he's in, but I think he has at least a sense of where things are going and this sense of impending doom that's looming over everything. And there's, there's nothing he can do about it. And, and it's, it's, it's so, it's so downbeat. It's, you know, there's, there's this, search for the doctor, but oh, is, is it the doctor? Is it the abbot of Amboise? I, we, we're not even 100% sure who was what when. And at the end of the story, when the doctor finally does turn up, it's basically, we got to go. Like, this is going to end badly. Everyone's going to die. There, there's no sticking around. There's no saying goodbye. There's no really trying to save Anne Chaplet. It's just running away. And after all of that, it's completely unsurprising that Stephen has had enough and that he storms out of the TARDIS the way that he does. And that leads to maybe Hartnell's best moment as the doctor in, in his entire tenure is, is his devastated speech after Stephen leaves lamenting how all of his companions, you know, leave him in the end. And it, and it's, it's, I've mentioned this before, but you know, we, we don't go back to this well too much until the series was revived in, in 2005. This idea that the doctor is actually 
seriously emotionally impacted by his companions leaving him and and that that scene is just the doctor is just this 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 broken helpless old man like just wanting company and and not having it and then then the whole thing kind of just gets crumpled up and thrown out the window and dodo shows up and steven comes back in the tardis and we're we're off on another adventure but up until that point it's 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 a it's a shocking grim difficult watch but it's 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 incredibly well made and or at least it seems like it's incredibly well made it's well acted at least but from what little we know um yeah i mean this is if i could have one more missing episode back i would want it to be an episode from the massacre yeah i I think uh it, it's definitely very, very high on my list of stories I'd like to just see an episode from. Um, apparently, the fourth episode, the massacre itself, was depicted using uh, sort of images and artwork and that kind of thing. And I'd just love to see how they put it together. It's such a powerful story, and I'd agree that Hartnell's speech at the end is it's just gold. It, it's it's perfect. It's amazing. Uh, Jimmy, what do you think of the massacre? Uh, well, as I said at the start of this episode, it's definitely my favourite of this season. It's just so brilliantly grim and dark and such a nice character piece for Stephen that he gets the chance to shine without the Doctor around. And he doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't know that much about this period. And he's from even further into the future so maybe he doesn't even understand why it's such a concern you know catholic you know you're all christian and so he but he adapts fairly well to the situation and it's so interesting to see how him making these friends with this people from this period that you don't really get that with most stories the characters are sort of you know a bit throwaway you know that you meet them that you have the connection but he, these really feel like Stephen's friends. It's, I mean, sort of Kameka in the Aztecs. You don't really get that connection often between a TARDIS character and the historical characters, but Stephen really jumps in there and it's heartbreaking to see him, you know, falling out with these people when they think he knows the Abbot because the Abbot looks like the Doctor and all that. It's it, it's really, they put Stephen through the ringer and it's... Um, Amazing that he gets through it alive, even and it, that ending, as you say, with Hartnell's brilliant speech and Stephen storming off, and potentially until he comes back a few minutes later, you think, "Is that it for him? Is he gone for real?" And it's yeah, just a brilliantly dark story, and I just love Stephen getting the chance to shine and the Doctor being missing and. You don't know what he's up to and whether he is the abbot or not. And Hartnell gives a brilliant performance as the abbot, like he doesn't have to say much. But it's it, even just on audio without seeing him, just the tone of the voice, like you recognise it's the first Doctor's voice, but you straight away recognise that it's not him. It's a completely different personality. And it's just, yeah, I I can't speak highly enough of this story. And especially at that that ending, it's really heartbreaking to see Stephen storm out and like he's never going to come back and it's really interesting that Dodo could potentially be a descendant of Anne and how they put that because I haven't read the novelization but apparently in that the Doctor tries to pass it off to Time Lords, the Doctor's meeting Time Lords for some reason in this era 
he tries to say, oh, Chaplet's as common a name as Smith is in England. And so, but in the actual TV episode, if they seem to genuinely believe this is probably Anne's descendant. And I've read some interesting theories about that online. Apparently some people think, well, if she'd gotten married, she the descendant wouldn't be named Chaplet. And so she must have, I've read some people theorising that in that night where her and Stephen are in hiding that actually not only is uh, Dodo Anne's descendant, she's also Stephen's that they hooked up. And, I mean, it's an interesting theory. I'd, I'm not sure whether I'd like for it to be true because of the drama or whether I'd hate for it to be true because it would sort of overshadow his actual later relation, relationship dynamic with Dodo. But it's certainly an interesting theory and very dark and it does seem to be slightly implied by the fact that they think that her descendant would still be named Chaplet. So, yeah, it's a very interesting, very dark story, and that sort of makes it even darker. But even without that sort of stuff, the episode as presented is just really brilliant. I I agree about this is one of the episodes I'd most like to see recovered. I mean, I'd love to see them all recovered, but this would be, you know, top of the list for sure. And even without any surviving episodes, it's still my favourite of the season. So to see it recovered or animated would be something I'm hugely looking forward to if it ever does happen. Definitely, definitely fingers crossed for that. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a very forgotten story. I don't think that many people outside of sort of Doctor Who fandom would be, you know, familiar with with this story about this. I mean, what's, it, it's the Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. Obviously, it's a historical event. It was a very horrific historical event, but it's it's not the widest known at all. And I feel as though, as a Doctor Who story, it's kind of like that as well. It, it sort of lives in the shadow of Dalek's master plan and the Doctor's barely in it. And, but it's still this incredibly, incredibly strong um, piece for Stephen. Um, and, you know, Hartnell gets to absolutely shine in that final episode. Um, with season three having so many serials uh we are breaking this one down into two parts i think we've reached a a natural pausing point there so we shall return we shall continue to go through season three uh, in a future episode it won't be too far off uh but for now uh i shall say thank you and goodbye to greg Thank you, and can't wait to finish this one up. And thank you and goodbye to Jimmy. Thanks for having me. It's a brilliant era and I love talking about it and can't wait to do the remaining episodes. And we will be back soon to talk about the arc onwards. Goodbye now.